Good morning. It's great to see you all. Uh, if you're visiting, welcome again uh, to King's Cross. My name is Joshua, and I'll be bringing you the word today. Well, last week we finished up our series in the book of Titus, thinking about what it means for the church to be a witness. And it was a rich teaching for us in this season, but also uh, there was a lot to process throughout those chapters. Um, So today, as we pause between series, uh, I want to share with you a meditation coming from Psalm 131, one of my favorite psalms, and I think one of Norman's favorites as well. Uh, It's a simple passage, but there's something so timeless and empowering about it every time it comes up. And I hope you can feel the spirit moving as well as we look at it together. Uh, Well, let me read it for us. Psalm 131. A song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear God, you are sovereign over our lives. Uh, teach us to stay close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there's a bit from a comedian talking about having his fourth child. He says, do you want to know what it's like having a fourth child? Uh, just imagine almost drowning and then somebody hands you a baby. Uh, Some of us might uh, feel like that uh, right now, Uh, whether you have kids to take care of or just uh, busy with work or school. It's a constant wave of things to do. I think it's that time of year. This past Friday, I submitted my last assignment for my STM studies, as some of you know. So if you could uh, pray for a smooth graduation this week, I'd be grateful for that. But uh, being in school full-time and doing my best with church work here, it's been enjoyable for sure, but also pretty taxing on my mind and body. So I've definitely felt the heat uh, in a lot of ways as well. What does soul care look like when we're overwhelmed? Uh, We'll try to answer that question today from Scripture. What does soul care look like when we're overwhelmed? Three points. Care through critique, care through contentment, and care through confidence. First, care through critique. Uh, The heading of this psalm says that it's a song of ascents. Back in the day when the ancient Israelites made their uh, pilgrimage every year to Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals, they sang songs walking uphill to where the temple was located. And these songs were called the Songs of Ascents. 
And the theme was usually about refocusing attention on God as they prepared to meet him, asking him for mercy, protection, and hope. The other part of the heading says, of David. Uh, Now, we don't know if this is directly about David or if it's just related to royalty in general, since David was a king. But either way, this heading sets us up for reading the text because it raises a question. How does a king who's had all the power he could ask for refocus his attention on God? See, a lot of times what trips us up is that we don't recognize our need for soul care when we're living with a royal mentality, a mentality of self-sufficiency. And so this psalm is saying, even the king of Israel is singing these words in his soul. Uh, What about you? Well, what do we see in verse 1? It begins with a list of things the psalmist is not doing. Uh, So he's mentioning things that he wants to avoid in his life. First, his heart is not lifted up. Um, In scripture, the heart is often your inner desires, uh, what you love, uh, and where you devote your time and energy. Uh, And lifted up means being arrogant or prideful. Uh, So in other words, my heart is not lifted up is saying, I'm not letting my ego get the best of me. Uh, I'm trying not to get consumed with myself. That's the first thing. Then what does he say? My my eyes are not raised too high. My vision and ambition for my life is not about my greatness or glory. And lastly, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I don't busy myself to try to control things beyond my knowledge. I embrace my limitations. So the common thread in this list is a picture of somebody who's doing his best not to center his life on himself. Um, But in order for somebody to get to that place, it requires a certain level of self-reflection. That's the care of critique. How often are you sitting down and critiquing yourself? Um, Recently, by accident, I got hooked on a TV show called Forged in Fire, History Channel. Uh, And the concept of the show is that bladesmiths from all around the country compete in a weapon-making contest at a forge, so usually swords, knives, and things like that. Uh, They have three rounds with one elimination at a time until the last remaining participant wins $10,000. Now, the most exciting part of these episodes is when the judges test the weapons to see who goes home. because the test is bashing them into random stuff like dummies and pig carcasses and stuff like that. Uh, it's usually it's very impressive and powerful to watch. It's awesome. Uh, but occasionally, there are instances when a bladesmith would present a really nice-looking piece, shiny blade, sharp, and beautiful handle, and all that. But when the judge bashes it for testing, there's a loud clang, and it shatters to pieces. Uh, An awkward silence fills the room. The bladesmith's face gets pale, and it's really tense for a second. Hours of work gone down the drain. Then the judge picks up the pieces and examines the construction. And he says, well, Bob, you did a nice job, but if you look inside, your steel has a tiny crack, and that caused the whole blade to come apart. you got to go home. And the guy just walks off. What do you believe is giving you fortitude today? 
What do you trust will strengthen you? A lot of times we put so much effort almost in a drone state, day in and day out on our daily tasks, because we believe whatever we're pursuing will eventually secure us. Whether it's our own comfort, our kids' well-being, our grades, our career, whatever it is, as humans we have this tendency to hold on to things that we can control um, and believe that as long as we have a good grip on these things, life is going to be all right. And, and gradually as we do this, it becomes about my ability, uh, my desire, and my reward. Uh, th that's just how it is. We all have ego, greed, and control issues. That's definitely me. Um, and if things go well enough, we get convinced that it's working. I'm a little more comfortable. My kids are making me proud. My job's productive and I'm managing. But what happens when the test comes? And that one moment of stress starts to nag at you. You thought you had everything set up and put all your shock absorbers in place. But when you're overwhelmed and under pressure, you find yourself coming apart for some reason. Uh, what then? Family of God, we're going to run into things in life, trials. But what's important in those moments is not how much we've built up for ourselves on the outside, but how much soul care we've received on the inside. There's a scene in the 2001 Planet of the Apes movie where the ape general opens up the mouth of a human, looks inside and says, is there a soul in there? That's a profound line. Scripture says, yes, there's a soul in you. As much as this city treats us like machines sometimes, there's an internality to you that can't be addressed by things on earth. And one of the steps of soul care that the psalmist is describing is self-critique. Asking, am I losing myself too much in external securities for internal needs? Because at some point it becomes diminishing returns, investing everything for a self-sufficient life, but becoming fragile in the end. One writer puts it like this, over time idols demand more and more and provide less and less until eventually they give you nothing and demand everything. Would you take some time to sit down and ask yourself, what's driving you? Oh. What are you holding on to so tightly and why? Is it a certain fear that you have? Is it emptiness? That's part of having compassion on ourselves to think through and confront what's inside because it could move us to healing. That's care through critique. Second, care through contentment. In verse 2, the psalmist moves from what he doesn't do onto what he does do. And that is he calms and quiets his soul like a weaned child with its mother. That phrase weaned child is talking about a baby who's no longer crying for milk from her mother, uh, but is just feeling content in her arms. Uh, maybe not like Amelia right now. Uh, See, sometimes as people were walking up the hill in Jerusalem, uh, you would see mothers carrying their babies with one arm. And those babies, of course, were totally dependent uh, but comfortable at the same time. Uh, this is one of the few places where scripture uses maternal imagery to describe God's relationship with people. Um, 
I've been thinking lately about the authority of children. Um, on Easter, Jeff Jew told the story of his precious son Isaiah, uh, listening to the account of Jesus' resurrection and responding, wow, in wonder and amazement at the empty tomb. You know, a lot of times we think maturity is about growing out of childlike ways, which is true. But what's also true is that when we grow out of childhood, we lose something as adults. Uh, That sense of purity, innocence, and and curiosity. And of course, kids can be messed up too. Uh, But there's a quality of life that we forget as we grow older. And in that sense, children have an authority that we don't have, a perspective we can't access anymore. See, in Scripture, trust in God is counterintuitive, counterproductive, and countercultural to adults. See, I actually felt anxious writing this part of the sermon because it felt so naive. And I was scared that you might call me naive for preaching this. Everything inside the modern person says be rational, organized, and pragmatic. But if we allow this passage to speak for itself, it's just simple. Set your heart on God like a child. Trust that he'll come through for you, that he'll provide for you, and that he'll reveal himself to you in his time. What does a calm and quiet soul look like? It's somebody who's regularly making room in her life to receive God's voice, whether it's through meditation prayer, scripture, or even conversations. It's consciously allowing yourself to expect and receive God's voice. Um, And it's not a one-time thing. A a weaned child is resting her head on her mother continually. It, It might not be as clear all the time. You'll have dry moments. But it's that simple verse uh, or a friend or a song or a prayer on a regular basis that opens you up to him and you wait for him to meet you there. And when he does meet you, that's a kind of gratitude that I'm not able to explain to you in words. When the Spirit responds to you um, and you feel him, uh, you start to say, wow, you're really there. You're actually there for me. And you have an experience with God, and it centers you and gives you assurance. But you're going to have to go to him with faith. Now, uh, real quick, this idea of quiet Uh, It's not talking about not saying anything. Here's what one author says. Quiet is often used interchangeably with literal silence or stillness. But the notion of quiet is neither motionless nor without sound. Quiet, instead, is the full range of one's inner life, one's desires, ambitions, hungers, vulnerabilities, fears. The interior dynamic and ravishing, is a stay against the dominance of the social world. It has its own sovereignty. What he's saying is, quiet is not about silence. It's about experiencing spiritual intimacy in a safe space, expressing yourself and then being heard away from judgment. So, so, So when you take the time to set your heart on God, you're laying out your thoughts your anxieties, your questions, things you might not always say out loud to everyone. And then you're asking him to speak into you. That's quietude. Um, Family of God, would you consider setting aside times like that in your life, even fighting for those times? Uh, And at least with him, would you be naive enough 
to let him surprise you. Uh, because as you stay close, even if you don't do anything, he's going to give you what you need. And not just materially, but internally as well. That's why Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Would you think about what that might mean for you? Um, and lastly, the care of confidence. Uh, verse 3, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, hope in Yahweh, the, the sovereign king. Right now I'm looking for a new barber. Um, I've been going to a guy for years now, God bless Jonathan, uh, but it's getting more difficult to book him and there's been some issues at their shop, so I decided to uh, look for somebody else for the time being. And as some of you know, you don't entrust your hair to just anybody. Uh, they have to be reliable. If somebody messes up your fade or shapes up your hairline a little too far back, uh, they have declared war on you uh, and you now have beef with them. Um, so it's a sacred thing to give your barber power. Well, yesterday I visited a place. The vibe was nice, a lot of good energy. But I was a little scared, uh, to be honest, because the person I booked uh, didn't seem to have a lot of customers. Uh, she was the only one not cutting hair when I got there. Uh, so, I, so I sat down nervously. But then I looked up at the wall right above her chair. And immediately it calmed me down. Because for some reason... Hanging on that wall was a huge poster of Bruce Lee. And, and, I, and I actually thought in that moment that it was a sign from God. And everything was going to be all right. And she did great. I, I'll probably go back to her uh, in a couple weeks. Um, it's it's nerve-wracking to think about the next couple of years, uh, the next 10 years down the road, because... We don't know what's going to happen. These days I keep trying to sketch out different plans because I'm getting anxious about my next steps, which is normal. Oh. But the psalm says hope in the Lord. It's talking about entrusting him with our future. And, and that's part of soul care too because it's a reminder that the God who has our life in his hands, he's not just anybody. He's the creator of the universe, the ancient one, the alpha and omega. Oh. Remember in Isaiah 6, there's a vision of these huge angelic creatures called the seraphim surrounding the throne of God. Uh, and they have six wings. With two, they're flying, but with the others, they're covering their face and their feet because even they can't handle the power and holiness of this God with the train of his robe filling the temple. And if that's the God who loves you and calls you his precious child and says your life is in his hands... Don't you think you could trust him with your future? Don't you think you can have confidence that he will lead you where you're supposed to be? He's infinitely wiser than you, and he's for your good. Uh, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So this last verse gives us two quick applications to take home. First, it says, O Israel. See, the first two verses say my and I. They're individual. But this last verse opens it up to community. O Israel, hope in the Lord together. The way we can find the care of critique, contentment, and confidence is not just by ourselves, but with each other. 
handful of trusted people in your life who will bring this psalm to you to push you and encourage you out of love. And you do the same for them. See, a Christian community pays attention to each other's soul care. The second application is the last line, which says, from this time forth and forevermore. It's a now and going forward, now and going forward. Author Betsy Childs Howard writes, God will give us what we need, but he will not give it to us until we need it. He didn't give the Israelites enough food to last through 40 years in the wilderness. He gave them manna one day at a time. None of us has a lifelong stockpile of grace, but we can look forward to God's faithfulness over a lifetime offered to us one day at a time. And in another place she writes, you can't buy manna at Costco. God's faithfulness over a lifetime, one day at a time. That's the wisdom of this psalm. We can hope in the Lord forevermore, but we do it with what we can manage today, uh, staying close to him and staying together. Family of God, remember Jesus was the perfect child, wise but pure, grounded but dependent. And he lived like that and died so that you and me, we could have a chance every day to do the same just like him and develop a relationship with his father. And if he gave his life for that, um, he's going to keep leading you today. We just have to trust him. Well, um, one of the ways in which he leads us, of course, is feeding us from this table every week. He wants to remind us of what he did for us uh, so that we know he's still here with us. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, remember me. Well, I'll ask our leaders to come help uh, set up the table for us. As always, we invite you, if uh, you have put your faith in Jesus, you're part of a church. But if that's not you today, um, if anything in the Word spoke to you, uh, this morning. We ask that you would sit and meditate on that. Um, and maybe he'll surprise you, whether it's in your prayer or your conversation. Um, for the rest of us, church, this table is for you. Let's line up on both sides and take together. <laughs>